Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Well, good morning, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to this special podcast message. Uh, Today, we are actually closed at Simple Church because we have some very exciting things happening. We are actually moving into our brand new facility this week, and with all the preparation that needed to be made, we decided to close service today. So if you are a first-time guest with us today and you showed up and our doors were closed and we handed you one of our cards that said, hey, check us out online and listen to the message today, we want to say thanks for coming. We hope that you'll join us November 16th. Uh, at 6475 East Main Street, uh, Unit 134. We have warehouse space, and we are prepping it uh, and getting ready for you. So please come join us for service next week in our new place. We are are so excited to share it with you and, and to have our new home. So I thought I'd put together a message today uh, for those of you who, who missed us. And, uh, and and I started thinking through what I would like to talk on. And uh, I, I thought, you know, we have a, a motto or our, our vision uh, statement, mission statement rather, around Simple Church. And it goes like this. Love God, period. Love people, period. And serve the world, period. And I think oftentimes we, we run into... Um, different understandings of what exactly that means. And so uh, I've been studying through 1 John and uh, I came across some scriptures that I think really makes it very clear what it looks like. First, we we understand what it looks like to love God. You know, I've done I've done previous messages on that, but what does it look like to love people? And, and through that, loving people, understanding what it means to serve the world. And so we're going to look at that a little bit today. We're going to be in 1 John Three verses 11 through 18. I'm going to read the verses to you now. It says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And so today, we're going to take a look at that. Before we do, I'm going to open in prayer. Uh, Father, I just pray right now that you would just open our hearts, open our minds to your word. Lord, that you would lead us through this, that you would guide us and convict us where necessary, but that you would help us follow this, Lord. As, as followers of Jesus, we want to do exactly what he did. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to clear out the clutter in our lives, to clear out the cl- clutter in our, our hearts and minds, uh, to be able to follow him as best we can. And so, Lord, uh, help us understand your word today. Help us grow from it today. That's the best we can ask. And Lord, bless the Buckeyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage, we see that one of the most effective ways of teaching is using contrast and comparisons here. And that's what John does. 
Uh, for example, I might contrast what it means to be a male with what it means to be a female. Uh, I might highlight the attributes of a tall person by standing next to a short person. And so these are simple examples, but we use this teaching technique all the time, right? So uh, it, it's not a new thing. And so the Apostle John is is uh, also found drawing comparisons and contrasts to be an effective means of teaching theology and spiritual truth here in this passage. And so he'll develop this last theme in comparison of hate versus love as he moves into the second major section of his letter because these are letters that John wrote to a church, right? That's what 1 John is, 2 John, and 3 John. They're, they're letters. And so in chapter 1, verses uh, 5 through chapter 3, verses 10, the message was God is light. So the first half of this letter that he wrote says God is light. Now in chapter 3, verse 11, through chapter 5, verses 12, the message is God is love. And because God is love, Christians are to love one another. And the importance of Christians loving one another is so important. Like, we need to get this through our heads, right? In fact, to hate your brother is just like murdering your brother, just like Cain murdered Abel in Genesis 4. Jesus teaches us that loving one another provides an excellent witness to a watching world. So remember what he said in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And that's Jesus saying that to us, right? And love is the most important evidence that says to others, I belong to and follow after Jesus. My life is to be identified with his. And so once again, by vivid contrast, John instructs us and enables us to see the genuineness of our love life. The test is convicting, and it's also very, very clear. He's essentially telling us to love one another and not to follow the example of Cain in 1 John 3, 11 through 15. And it says this, uh, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death, and anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So we look at verse 11, and and if we read the verses before, we would see that 11 flows naturally out of verse 10, which says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. And so the child of God, having been born of God, does what is right because loving his brother is is doing right. That's what God wants us to do. And the contrast here is that the child of the devil does not do what is right, and that's hating his brother, right? And so there's this, this obvious contrast between children of God and children of the devil, between lovers and haters. And to make this plain, John goes all the way back in time, all the way back to the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. He's going to address both the act and the sinister, excuse me, the sinister source behind that act. And just as God delights in giving life, the devil equally delights in producing death by pushing us to murder. So when we look at these verses again, John 11 through 15, we see language that John uses earlier in his letter, and he says that he has a message or a report which his readers had heard at the beginning of their new life in Christ. In other words, at the point of conversion when the gospel was preached to them. And, and what is the gospel message that they received at conversion? It's simply this, that we should love continually one another. This word about love is not just something they heard at the beginning of their Christian experience. It is something they heard there, but it's also a a message or a command that they hear repeated again and again throughout the New Testament. Here's just a few along the way that we read in the New Testament reminding us to love one another. A few verses. 
John 13, 34. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. John 15, 12. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17. This is what I command you. Love one another. Romans 12, 10. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to be free brothers, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Ephesians 4.1-2 Therefore I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience accepting one another in love. Finally, 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we also do for you. And look, I have so many more in my notes here, but the, the point is to show you that, that um, this, this theme has been written all throughout the New Testament. And so when John is saying that it's not a new message, that they've, but they've heard it from the beginning and something they continue to hear. And in 1 John alone, we see the same command reiterated like four different times. It also appears in his subsequent letters to this church as well. And so my point is that God thinks our loving one another is extremely important. Now John, who was a disciple of Jesus, says we are to love consistently and comprehensively, continually, and individually. We are to play no favorites, show no biases. We're not to discriminate among our brothers and sisters because we're supposed to be a family, right? We're supposed to all be saying, we are family. Come on. Nobody wants to sing with me? It's all right. And love for others is supposed to flow out of God's love for us, right? It's it's what's at the heart of the gospel. And so to love our brothers and sisters is to stand in stark contrast to the first murder in the Bible from the man uh, named Cain, who in Cain's actions revealed his true spiritual father, the devil. Because Jesus taught in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, because it has not he because he did not stand in the truth but because there is no truth in him when he tells a lie he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of liars look the word murder means to butcher or slay or slaughter it speaks of like a violent or and brutal killing and what were Cain's motives here he was motivated and moved by his spiritual father the evil one his heart was filled with jealousy envy and resentment Because Abel brought a sacrifice to God that was acceptable and righteous. And Cain brought one that was evil and unacceptable. And so he hated Abel over this. And he eventually murdered him. He killed his own flesh and blood. And to all of this, John says, don't be surprised. It could be simply translated, stop being surprised, really. As if the people that he was writing to, the church that he was writing to, were constantly being bombarded with hate. And the people he's writing this letter to are constantly surprised that people hate them. It's natural for the world represented here by Cain in the Genesis story to hate you because its father hates you, the devil. So don't be surprised or caught off guard when people of this world, people like Cain, hate you. It's their nature. However, don't you be like Cain. Like, don't stoop down to their level. Resist the urge to hate with hate, uh, to return hate with hate, rather, and murder with murder. The gospel has changed you, and love is at the heart of the gospel message. So where the gospel has taken root, love will be the natural fruit. You know, I say this kind of stuff to my kids all the time, especially when there's been a fight breakout between them. And they almost always say, well, he did this to me first. That's why I did this back. And my response to that is, but we're to treat people the way that we want to be treated. 
or the way that we treat ourselves, not the way they treat us first. And this kind of action, this kind of motivation, this kind of thought can only be born out of love. In our passage, it continues on to show us that loving others has numerous positive benefits and blessings. And one is that we know uh, we have been born again and have eternal life if we love one another. In fact, John says we have an abiding and settled knowledge. Those are powerful words that we, are, that we have passed from spiritual death to eternal life because we love continually our brothers. This isn't a one-time thing. This is love that we are demonstrating and showing our brothers and sisters in Christ on a regular basis. The contrast, of course, is the one who does not love remains in death and has no spiritual or eternal life. Now, I want to take a moment to be clear on what John is saying here and what he's not saying. John is saying that continually loving others out of gospel gratitude for all that Jesus has done is evidence of proof that we have definitely moved on from the realm of spiritual death into the realm of spiritual life. What he's not saying is that eternal life is earned by loving others, but rather that loving others is evidence that we already have eternal life. So it becomes another avenue of assurance, right, of, of eternal life. And I say this because people think that if they do good enough works, you know, that they, that they gain eternal life. Like that karma, good karma is what's going to get them into heaven. And that's just simply not how it works. We respond to the gospel of Christ that is the only way that we have salvation and eternal life. And our response to the gospel births a love in us for others. As I love my brothers and sisters in the community of faith well, I'm assured that I'm in the family of God because I'm demonstrating proper fruit of that relationship with God. And so interestingly enough, the word for brother occurs 15 times in this letter and almost always has uh, the, the, the reference to the family of God. And John no doubt would affirm our love for all men and women in general, but here he calls for us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in particular. Paul said something similar to this in Galatians 6.10 when he says, uh, therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. People whose lives are categorized or characterized rather by hatred give evidence that they have never been born again, that they remain in death. Further, not only do they live in the world of spiritual death, but they are actually murderers in the eyes of God. And John is clear here. He says that an attitude of hate in your heart is equivalent, equivalent to having murder in your heart. And that's hard for us to hear, especially because we feel entitled to hate someone when they've done us wrong, right? But again, John is drawing from words we hear from Jesus when he gave the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 21 through 22. He says, you have heard that it was said that our ancestors or said to our ancestors, do not murder and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother fool will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says you moron will be subject to hellfire. Look, Jesus is likening the physical murdering of a person to the hatred in your heart towards your brother. And he is saying that you will be guilty under the law of the land if you actually murdered someone. But you will be held guilty before God if you hate others in your heart. And so having heard that from Jesus, John says it really quite simply. No love, no life. Love and hate are moral spiritual opposites. And both can't, they can't reside at the same time in the same heart. Our love for one another is the flower and fruit that indicates eternal life is at the root. So to wrap up our passage, John shows that real love, God's love, is shown as well as spoken. And I love this part. It says it's, it's tangible, not 
theoretical, right? It's not something we talk about. It's something that we do. And so you see in our, in our fallen, broken world, the world that we live in, man, we are so often confused and, and unsure about what real love is. You know, we, we, we simply sometimes are wrong in our understanding. Yeah, we think about love. We talk about love. We write about love. We sing a lot about love. But do we really and truly know what love is? Like, no doubt love was truly expressed and given and received by Adam and Eve in the garden up to the time of the fall where they sinned against God. Then everything goes wrong and murder soon followed with Cain killing Abel. And it hasn't stopped since then. It's only escalated. And we see this clearly. Just look at the news. The broadcasts that we watch, they, they shouldn't stagger us, but they or they should stagger us really, but they shouldn't surprise us. The God of this world appears to be winning the day. And yet, in God's providence, there's going to be this amazing reversal. There will be an end of death itself through the death of the Son of God who laid down his life for us. Jesus paid a price so that we didn't have to experience eternal death. And many people have noticed, when you look at John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16, many people have noticed the beautiful relationship that exists there. And and John 3.16 says, Uh, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who should ever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? And and the first one, so this one is like a demonstration of love, that God says, I loved you so much, I'm going to give this to you. And John says, I'm giving you my son. 1 John 3.16, though, says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In other words, he's saying we ought to give ourselves for others. The Bible says if you want to see love, look at the cross. Because that's where it was demonstrated. The Bible says if you want to show love, look at the cross. The Bible says if you want to know love, look at the cross. If you want to live love towards others, look at the cross. So here we get to come to this understanding of what love is when we consider the, that sacrifice, that substitutional sacrifice of the Son of God on our behalf. He lived the life that we should have lived but didn't. And he died the death we should have died, but now I don't have to die because he did it. And love at its core is really about self-sacrifice and self-substitution. In our case, it is for those who are completely and totally unworthy. Because that's exactly what we are. Totally unworthy of such love. And I think once we get this idea into our heads, once we really wrap our heads around it, we the only reasonable reaction is to honor God. If we really understood the magnitude of what has been done for us and the implications of eternity, right? We we think only in our present life and our present moment, but when we think eternally, we, we won't feel obligated to show gratitude. We, we won't be nearly willing to be thankful We will joyfully present our lives to God as a living sacrifice, grateful and humble worship. And that's exactly what John is telling us. Out of gospel gratitude for his laying his life down for us, that's Jesus laying his life down for us, we get to lay down our own lives for our brothers. Jesus said it like this in John 15, 13. He says, no one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And so we can see an idea emerging here that service to others always involves giving. You know, we talk about love God, love people, serve the world. And to do that is going to require you to give to others. This statement, I would die for you, sounds noble and spiritual, right? Like we hear that and it's an awesome gesture, but it's, it, it sounds awesome. But while you're willing to die for me, would you, 
be willing to give me something to eat? Or could you share an extra shirt or better yet, even a coat? Could you let me sleep on your couch until I get back on my feet? Or could you help out with my electric bill or, or meds for my sick kids? You know, I don't need you to die for me. I just, I just need a little help. And so we, we look, you know, and we say, yeah, I'd die for you. But talk is cheap, right? It's this modern cliche that we all know. And, and I suspect that the concept original in the Bible, this talk is cheap. The verses 17 through 18, uh, John gets down to where the rubber meets the road and provides some basic, real and practical advice about what love in the context of everyday living looks like, right? Here's what it says. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And so we see in verse 17 that Jesus had a life to give. And you have stuff or this world's goods to give. Jesus saw your need and gave his life. You, however, see your brother's need and close your eyes. How then can God's love reside in you? Like the obvious and undeniable answer is it doesn't. It's just simply not there. So the question is, can we be honest with ourselves? Because I know it here, it, it hurts to hear things like this, right? But if we're honest with ourselves at this point, this is when we can experience change. And John knows that our hearts control our hands. A closed heart will always result in closed hands. And is evidence that your heart's never been opened up by the key of the gospel of God's grace that was poured out in Jesus. And the brother of Jesus, James, has the same concerns as he writes uh, in James um, 15 through 17. He says, if a brother or sister is without close clothes, and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Dead faith, dead love. Neither one does any good to others. And John concludes our passage here, our selection, with a simple line of reasoning. Little children, we must not love with words or speech, but with truth and action. Because see, love is so much more than making a good profession or a great speech that uses impressive words and grand gestures. No, love is, is, is an action word that always expresses itself in good deeds done in the context of truth. John has the, the word truth in here for a very good reason because words can be empty and our actions can be hypocritical. See, you, you may choose to do nothing, though your words promise much. On the other hand, you may choose to do something for someone, but your motives are impure and your intentions evil. We call this manipulation, right? And God cares about both our motives and our actions. He wants us to love and to care for others just like we have been loved and cared for by Jesus. And once more, it's clear. Do you want to see love in deed and truth? Just look to the cross. You know, living out the gospel means having open ears, open eyes, and open hands for the hurting. It means loving others as we have been loved by Jesus. So it's just not enough to talk about love. Let us truly demonstrate love. And after all, Jesus didn't say something. He did something. And the call today is for the church to stop making a stand, right? We always want to raise up our banners. We always want to say, you know, we want to go picket things. We want to, we want to vote accordingly. We want, we want to take a stand as the church and say, these are our morals and our values. But when it comes to actually doing something that makes a difference, our individual responsibility, we let go right out the window. 
But we can do this. We can start making a difference instead of just making a stand. We can do this if we love God first through our engagement in the gospel of Christ. Then by loving others as a natural outgrowth of that love for God. Realizing, of course, that this, this leads to laying down our lives and serving others. You know, today I wonder if you're listening to this message and your heart's been moved. Maybe by maybe you've been convicted and you say, I know I've, ha- I've hate in my heart towards someone... <coughs> And I need to let that go. You know, it only takes confessing that sin and turning to Jesus. It takes confessing that sin to him and saying, I've been hating my brother. Please forgive me. And then it takes going to that person, whoever that brother or sister is, and making it right. And doing whatever could be done to have some peace with that person. Sometimes that means forgiving when they don't deserve it. Sometimes that means forgiving when they haven't asked for it. Sometimes It means forgiving when they are unrepentant in their lifestyle and they continue to hurt you in that way. Others of you would say, you know, I've been living my life with a closed heart and closed hands. I've been greedy because I've freely received the gospel, but I have not been one that would freely give to others. You know, folks, if we, if we would just humble ourselves, God, God can change our hearts. He promises if we would turn from our ways and repent and pray, then he would heal our lands. Then we would see change happen. That's the only way we can do it, guys. We have to turn from our ways. We have to repent. We have to ask for his help to change our hearts. So that, yes, we can say we love you, God. But our lives will say that we love it more, love him even more than our words say. And that will be demonstrated through loving people and ultimately serving the world as we lay down our lives for others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this this quick devo, this message. I thank you, Lord, for its call to us. I thank you for its convicting power. I thank you for its truth. And I pray, God, that as a church, we can let it settle into us. And let let it, as it settles into us, lead us to repentance. All of us on some level need to take this in And let its truth shine a light in the dark places in our hearts. And all of us have opportunities to repent and to grow in love. Not just in word, but in deed for others. God, help us to do that. Help us to make a difference here in our communities. Not with just our words, but our actions. Help us to make a difference in our home. With our wives and our children. By the way that we love them. Help us make a difference at our work, on the job by the way we respect each other, by the way we help each other, by the way that we, we essentially demonstrate love on the job, by being the best employees we can, by serving and doing all that we do at our jobs as we're doing it unto you. Lord, may we do this in our communities, in the way that we serve our communities. God, help us. Help us be creative and, and see. See what the needs are and to respond to those needs. Help us to be moved by compassion and not moved by our bottom lines, by our checkbook, checking accounts and, and the numbers that are there, not by our resources, Lord, because none of this is, is up to us anyway. Everything we have is from you. And I believe that when we give out of love, that you will refill our coffers, that you will fill our hearts with joy, that you will provide peace, that you will make a way when there is no way for us. If we are just willing to do this, God, help us today. Draw us further and further into your love. Change us, Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you're listening to this the week of November 9th, 2014, our first service in our new facility, again, the address is 6475 East Main Street, Warehouse 134. First service, we're doing one service. It'll be at 10.30 a.m. We are having a celebration and uh, a potluck afterwards. So bring a dish or a side or something to share. And there's also a chili cook-off. So if you are a master chef and make chili, man, we want you to show up and and, uh, we will... Uh, give out game. Or we'll have uh, have prizes for the winner of the chili cookoff. So join us next Sunday if you can. If you're not able, you can tune in right here on this podcast. God bless you. We love you and thank you for your time. Thank you for listening today. Pray for us as we as we grow in this community, and we'll be praying for you. God bless you.